Well, good morning to you. If you have a Bible, please turn to the book of Genesis chapter 1. Good to see you today. Glad you're here. Glad you made it. Genesis chapter 1. In just a minute, after I kind of set this up, we'll read verses 26 to 31. uh, Genesis 1, starting in verse 26. Let's pray before we read. Father, we love every opportunity to open your word together, and we just look to you for your blessing upon your word. Lord, there's nothing I can do with this word. There's nothing any of us can do with this word apart from you. You, Father, are the one who breathed this word out for our eternal good. And Lord, it's only by your spirit that we can comprehend your word, that uh, we can be changed uh, by your word. So, Lord, we would just look to you this morning, our great God, our faithful God, merciful, kind, gracious, uh, gentle, tender. We look to you, Father, and ask for your help as we look into your word this morning. I pray, Father, for the gift of your spirit around this room that you would stir our hearts. Lord, don't let us be sleepy hearers of your word this morning. I pray, Father, you would stir us up. Father, you would help us to be active hearers of your word. Father, you'd help us to be people who don't just hear your word, but do your word, Lord, for your glory and our joy. Help us, Lord, we pray now in the name of Jesus. Uh, Once a year in this church family, we celebrate this thing that we call Global Missions Week because missions, it's just a big part of what we do here in our local church family. Uh, Global Missions is one of our largest budget line items. We give a lot of our resources to Global Missions. We support quite a few full-time overseas missionaries. Uh, We've even sent a couple of our own there, Tim and Maria Stadahar, to be uh, full-time overseas missionaries. We're now working to send a couple more uh, of our members overseas. You'll hear from Will and Sarah Myron uh, next week. And many of you, in addition to that full-time stuff, many of you have also been on short-term global mission trips to places like China and Haiti and India and Honduras. Missions is just a very big part of of what we do. And, And here this morning, I'd like to think with you about the why of missions. Why do we do it? Uh, we believe that every single Christian who, who trusts in Christ should be actively engaged in mission in some way, both globally and locally. That is a thing for every single believer. But why? Why mission? Why get involved with it as a Christian? Why get involved with mission as a local church? And I'd like to just talk with you this morning about one of the reasons. Why mission? Here's one of the primary reasons. Because you were created for mission. Mission is not just a good thing for churches to do. It's not just another good thing for Christians to do. No, mission is actually part of your created identity as a human being. The God of this universe, one of the reasons why He created you, He created you for mission. We're going to look this morning at a particular biblical theme. The theme of the image 
of God, or what theologians might call the Imago Dei. And, and, and that theme, the image of God, it, it's traced all the way through the Bible. And when you begin to take your time and just look at that theme in the Bible of the image of God, one thing you begin to see very clearly is that you were created for mission. We're going to think about three different things this morning concerning the image of God. And the first thing we'll think about here this morning is image creation. Image creation. As human beings, you and I were created in the image of God. And we see it here in Genesis chapter 1. At this point here in Genesis chapter 1, this chapter is the the account of God's creation of the heavens and the earth. And at this point, at the end of chapter 1, God has already created the rest of the heavens and the earth in the first five days of creation. Now here on the sixth and final day of creation, God creates humanity. Let's go ahead and read it. Verse 26, Then God said, Let us make man in our image, after our likeness, and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, and over the birds of the heavens, and over the livestock, and over all the earth, and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created a male and female. He created them, and God blessed them. And God said to them, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it and have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over every living thing that moves on the earth. And God said, behold, I have given you every plant yielding seed that is on the face of all the earth and every tree with seed in its fruit. You shall have them for food and every beast of the earth and every bird of the heavens and everything that creeps on the earth, everything that has the breath of life. I have given every green plant for food, and it was so. And God saw everything that he had made, and behold, it was very good. And there was evening, and there was morning, the sixth day. So, there it is. The very last bit of God's creative work there. The pinnacle or the high point of God's creation. If you read the creation account, you'll see that every other time God looked at everything he created, he said, it is good. But now here on the sixth day, he looks right after creating man and woman in his image. He looks at it and for the first time says, it is very, very good. The first man and woman created in God's own image. Verse 26 again says this. If you'll put that up there. Then God said, let Let us make man in our image after our likeness. And it's repeated there in verse 27. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. You, whether you are male or whether you are female, we are equally created in the image of God, his very image, his very likeness, the only being in the universe created in the very image of God. I know that your dog back at your house is a great dog. Man's best friend, right? You love your dog. I've seen many of your dogs on Facebook. Uh, And according to Romans 20, you can see in your dog some of God's invisible attributes. 
You can see the power of God in your dog, in the way your dog was created. You can see some of God's care, some of God's creativity in the way your dog was created. Very, very unique. But there is one thing that your dog will never, ever possess a likeness of God himself. Your dog was not created in the image of God, neither was your pet bird or your pet gerbil or your cat. I'm not convinced that cats were created by God at all. Uh, <laughs> they're, they're so weird. Maybe just a product of the fall, we're not sure. Uh, but, but regardless, regardless, no other being on this planet was created in the image of God. Only humanity. You and me. Stop and think about that. You're created in the image of God. What does that mean exactly? For you to be created in the image of God. It's easy to say that. I'm created in His image. What does that mean? For you to be created in the image of God. And you know, people have written thousands of pages throughout history talking about what it might mean to be created in the image of God. This imago day type of thing. We'll take it very simply today. To be created in the image of God means, among other things, that we resemble God in some way. We are like God in some way. And historically, people have pointed to things like our morality. We, unlike your dog, were just created with this inborn sense of right and wrong. And our rationality. We have an ability to reason like God. Or our judicial sense. You you look around at the legal system in our country or in other countries. We just have this inborn sense of justice and injustice like God. Or our aesthetic sense. Just this inborn sense of beauty. Able to create beautiful things like God. Your dog doesn't paint Mona Lisa's. I don't think. Only human beings do that. Our morality, our rationality, our judicial and our aesthetic senses and on and on and on. All of those things are part of what it means to be created in the image of God. We resemble God in some way. We are like God in some way. John Piper gives a couple illustrations that kind of help to flesh out this image of God thing. He uses the illustrations of a statue and of a mirror. Just think first of a statue, a a, a marble sculpture of of some sort. An image like that, a, a sculpture like that, Piper says, is created to image something. Why do people create statues of George Washington? Or create the Lincoln Memorial. Or, or create uh, the statue of David by, by Michelangelo. An image like that is created to image... You can take that down for a second, sorry. I can always tell when I've lost everybody. Thanks, hang on one second. An image like that is, is created to image something. An image like that is created to image the real thing. It's created to help you kind of, of, of see or know the real thing a little better. Think of the Lincoln Memorial. Go ahead and throw that on the screen. You create that image there, the, that statue, in order that people might then look at that image and kind of see in their minds the real thing. Might, so they might know Abraham Lincoln just a little bit better. Wow, Lincoln was lanky. He had a big beard. 
He had wavy hair. He was about 100 feet tall, according to that image. Images are created to image something, to help you to see and, and know the real thing a little bit better. And you and I, in a very simple way, we were kind of created by God to be little statues. Little moving statues that in some way resemble God, are like God, in our morality, our rationality, and so on. In, 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 in the way we communicate, in the, in the way we, we, we think, in the way, in the way we feel, we reveal some of what God is like. The way God communicates, the way God thinks, the way God feels. Now, it's not perfect, of course. There's many, many ways that God is very different than us. But we as human beings, we do bear a little resemblance of the one true God created us in his own image and likeness unlike every other created being. Or you can think of a second illustration, that of a a mirror. Just picture a little mirror in your mind. To be created in God's image means we were created like a mirror to reflect God in some way. You can just picture Adam and Eve at creation. God, he basically created these two little mirrors and he set them at a 45 degree angle. And then God looked down at these two little mirrors and the image was reflected out into the world. The image of God reflected through Adam and Eve out into the world. We were designed by God in that way. In order that all of creation could then look at us, could then look at the human race, look at the way we communicate, the way we think and feel, could look at our, our, our rationality, our, our, our morality, our aesthetic sense, that all of creation could look at the human race and catch a little reflection of God himself. That's why we were created. Created us to be like little statues or, or mirrors to, to resemble and to reflect God in this world. God created human beings to demonstrate or to show forth or to manifest just a little bit of his own glory. His greatness in this world. And after God created Adam and Eve in his image, did you see what God told them to do? Look at verse 28 again. And God blessed them And God said to them, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it and have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over every living thing that moves on the earth. Adam and Eve, be fruitful and multiply. Translation, have lots of little babies and send those babies all over the earth. And then subdue the earth. All your descendants around the earth, subdue the earth. Rule it with care as my vice regents, as my ambassadors. And when God told Adam and Eve there to be fruitful and multiply, you know one thing that God was telling Adam and Eve to do? Fill this earth with my glory. Fill this earth with my image-bearing worshipers. Fill the globe with my glory. God, looking at Adam and Eve, I don't want just two little images of me named Adam and Eve. 
No, I want billions and billions of them around the earth. Little statues, little mirrors to resemble and reflect me in this earth so that all of creation might look at the human race and say, how great is God? And that right there is one of the primary reasons why you were created. That's one of your primary purposes on this planet You were created for mission. You were created for mission to expand God's glory around the globe. That's why you're here. Life is not ultimately about you. It's ultimately about the God who created you. God doesn't ultimately revolve around you. You ultimately revolve around God and His glory. That's the Copernican revolution. We so often think God revolves around us. It's all about us. God's done everything for us. And yeah, God has done lots of things for us. But we need to go through this Copernican revolution where we realize God doesn't revolve around us, but we revolve around Him and His glory. We were created not ultimately for me, for you. We were created ultimately for God. And when you find your purpose in God, you found your purpose on this planet. And one of your purposes on this planet is mission. To expand the glory of God in this globe. That's our purpose as human beings. Man, we were created in the image of God. And told by God to multiply. In order that the glory of God might then spread around the globe. In order that this entire earth might one day be filled with the knowledge of His glory as the waters cover the sea Habakkuk 2.14. The Jesus Bible, it's a little study Bible, kind of takes text to Jesus. The Jesus Bible says this, Adam and Eve lived on mission. They were to multiply and fill the earth. As created image bearers, they would naturally multiply and fill the earth with more and more image bearers. Image bearing worshipers of God. As worshipers spread, the glory of God would be seen throughout the world God had created. That was God's plan from the very beginning. Here's the thing. We messed it up. We, 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 we messed it up. Adam and Eve, the human race, we sinned. We rebelled against God. And the second we did, this image of God that had been so lovingly pressed into us by God Himself, well, this image of God in us now became badly distorted, marred. The human race, no longer a great resemblance or reflection of God, but now a very poor resemblance and reflection of God. Our statues had now become defaced. You know how vandals sometimes deface statues? I have a couple photos for you. That's a defaced Abraham Lincoln. You can hardly tell it's him. Here's Robert E. Lee. Cut, scarred, disfigured in his face. This last one is Colonel William Crawford, just completely decapitated by vandals. And when the human race rebelled against God, our statues became defaced, became distorted, became very, very disfigured. Now God still loved us. The image of God was still there, just badly marred right now after after the fall. No longer resembling very well at all the God who created us. Our mirrors had now become flipped upside down. 
the reflective side was now toward the ground, the backside of the mirror toward God. God now looked down on humanity and we no longer reflected his image out into the world the way we did before. The human race no longer demonstrated, no longer showed forth, no longer manifested the glory of God the way we did before. And here's the problem. Well, Adam and Eve then had babies. Lots and lots of babies. They were fruitful. They, they multiplied. They filled the earth, populating the earth. But now not with really good images of God, but with really distorted, marred images of God. Millions and millions of defaced statues. Millions and millions of flipped over mirrors. No longer resembling and reflecting God. The human race... We were created for mission, created in the image of God and told to multiply in order that the glory of God might fill the earth, but we failed. God, however, would not be stopped. God had an eternal plan to restore us back to his image. That's the second thing I just want to think about with you here. First, image creation. And second now, image creation restoration you know when uh, when vandals deface a statue like maybe some of those you just saw it's usually just a matter of time that people come in and 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 they begin to go to work on that statue again and restore it remove the scrapes the the scars put the head back on the statue an image restoration and 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 god had a plan to give the human race an image restoration after we had fallen. How, how would this Im- image restoration work? Well, here's how it would work. God would send his perfect image to this planet. His own son, Jesus. The only person in history who has resembled and reflected God the Father perfectly. Because Jesus is God. The eternal Son of God. If you want to see God the Father perfectly, look at Jesus. Because the Bible says that the Father and the Son are one. Jesus is the perfect image of the one true God. Colossians 1.15 says this. says, Jesus is the image of the invisible God. Or Hebrews 1.3. Jesus, He is the radiance of the glory of God. He is the exact imprint of His nature. Jesus Christ, here on this earth, walking, talking. The perfect image of God the Father. If you want to know God the Father, look at Jesus. Because Jesus and the Father are one. Jesus, the perfect image of the Father. And Jesus, this perfect image of God, He took our sins upon Himself on the cross. And do you realize what happened to Him on the cross when He took our sins? His image was badly marred on the cross because of our sin. Why did He do it? Why did Jesus do that? And a lot of people might just say, well, Jesus did that so I could be forgiven. Yes, He did. But do you know another reason why Jesus went to the cross and took our sins upon himself? Do you know another reason why Jesus allowed his image to be so badly marred on the cross? In order that your image might be restored. In order that you who had lost the resemblance to God might again find it in and through Jesus Christ. He was disfigured. He was marred in order that you might be healed. 
He did it in order that you and I might be slowly restored bit by bit back to that original image of God. The restoration of that original Imago Dei in in us. That's what happens when you trust in Christ. Man, the second you turn away from your sin and you begin to cling to Christ and you cry out for mercy, you begin to follow Christ. Well, guess what? The Father then looks at you and He says, You're my child. You are my child, my forever child. I love you. My child with whom I am well pleased. And you know what? God now delights in you as His child. I was meditating this week on Isaiah 62. What a powerful passage, man. As a bridegroom rejoices over his bride. Husband, stop for a minute. Think back to your wedding day when you rejoiced over your bride. As a bridegroom rejoices over his bride, so your God will rejoice over you. God, if you're his child, man, he now rejoices over you. And here's the thing, as his child, well, God now instantly begins to heal you. Not all at once, (laughs) little by little, day by day. Slowly, two steps forward, one step back, two steps forward, ten steps back. (laughs) He slowly begins to transform you, restore you gradually back into his own image. Restoring in you that beautiful Imago Dei that we had in the Garden of Eden. Slowly restoring your statue. Removing the scars, the blemishes that were caused by your own, your own sin. You begin to resemble God again. God flips your mirror right side up again. And he begins to clean your mirror off. And you once again begin to reflect God out into this world. You slowly, day by day, as a Christian, you begin to talk more like God. It's nothing that you ultimately do. It's the power of the Holy Spirit in you. You begin to talk more like God. You begin to look more like God. You begin to love more like God. You know what happens when you become a Christian? Day by day, slowly, bit by bit, you begin to look more like Christ, who is the perfect image of God. God is transforming you back to his original image that was planted on us at creation. Jesus came to restore the Imago Dei. You slowly as a Christian, you begin to look and act and taste more like Christ. Romans 8.28 says this, and we know that for those who love God, for Christians... We know that all things work together for good. For those who are called according to His purpose. For those whom God foreknew, He also predestined to be conformed to the image of His Son. Man, for every single Christian, if that's you, you trust in Christ today, if that's you, Will you now love God and you now follow Christ in faith? And guess what? If that's you, God is now causing everything in your life to work for your eternal good. And what is this highest good that God is aiming to produce in your life? What is the good that God is causing all things in your life to work toward? Here it is, that you might be conformed to the image of His Son. 
God is using trials to conform you to the image of Jesus. Suffering to conform you to the image of Jesus. He's using joy to conform you to the image of Jesus. He's using all things to conform you to the image of Jesus. He wastes nothing, not even your own sin. He's using your own sin to conform you to the image of Jesus. 2 Corinthians 3.18 says this, And we all... Now as Christians, we all, with unfailed face, beholding the glory of the Lord, we are being transformed into that same image from one degree of glory to another. Man, as you walk with Christ as as a Christian, as you gaze daily into the glories of Jesus, whether it's in the Word or it's in prayer or it's in fellowship with other believers, but as you gaze into the glories of Jesus on a daily basis, you are slowly, from one degree of glory to the next, being transformed into that same image, the very image of Jesus. God is restoring in you the lost imago day. You begin to look and sound like God more and more. You begin to look and, and sound and taste more like Jesus more and more. Why did Jesus come to this earth? That's one of the primary reasons. So that you and I might be healed, restored little by little back to the original image of God. Your statue restored, your mirror flipped back right side up again. You beginning to resemble and reflect once again God himself. And that's the second thing today. First image creation, second image restoration. And the third and final thing here, number three Image multiplication. You know, a lot, of, uh, a lot of Christians stop there at number two. I did for years. <laughs> Man, how cool. As a Christian, God is restoring me back to his image. <laughs> That's fantastic. Every day I'm resembling and reflecting God just a little more in this life. I'm looking and acting and tasting just a little more like Jesus. That's awesome. And that is awesome. But please don't stop at number two, just the image restoration. Because God doesn't want you as his child to just sit around and enjoy your own personal restoration. No. God restores you. And then God calls you to spread that restoration around the globe. Restoring to others that image of God. You know what God says to you the second you become a Christian? Man, you can just picture all the beautiful things God says to you when you first become a child of God. He looks at you and says, you're mine. You are my beloved child with whom I am well pleased. I don't love you because of anything you do or don't do. Never have, never will. I love you because you're mine. It's like you with your kids. You don't ultimately love them because of things they do or don't do. Now you wish they did some things. <laughs> you wish they didn't do some things they did. But you don't love them because of that. You love them because, you're the, because they're yours. My little daughter, four-year-old, says all the time, I ask her, honey, why do I love you? And she says, you love me because I'm yours. Because I tell her that all the time. And then I say to her, well, you're always going to be mine. So it doesn't matter what you do or don't do, does it? It means I'll always love you. No matter what. And that's God. He looks at you and says, you're mine. 
I love you. It doesn't ever matter what you do or don't do. I just love you. And God rejoices over you with singing, the Bible says. He's a singing God and he rejoices over you with singing. How crazy is this? And God looks at you. He just promises from this day forward as you look to Christ in faith, I'll restore you. Now I'm going to transform you little by little back into my image, back into the image of Jesus. You're going to start looking and tasting more like Jesus in your life. I'm going to make sure of it. It's not ultimately up to you. I'm going to do it. But here's the thing. God also looks at you with his big, tender, gentle smile on his face. You know what he does? He basically takes you right back to the end of that first chapter in the book of Genesis, and he says this to you. Now, my child, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. Or as Jesus said at the end of his life on earth, Matthew 28, 19, go therefore and make disciples of all nations. And, and you see what that is. That original creation mandate that God gave to Adam and Eve, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth, guess what? That original creation mandate, it's still alive today. God still wants us to be fruitful and to multiply and to fill the earth. He still wants us to, 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 to fill the earth with his image-bearing worshipers. It's just that that creation mandate is now just fulfilled in a different way. We don't fulfill it now by having babies, necessarily. We fulfill it now by making disciples, by going and raising up image-bearing worshipers of God, bringing more people to faith in Christ in order that their statues might be restored, in order that their mirrors might be flipped right side up, in order that more and more people on this planet might begin to resemble and to reflect God much, much better. The slow and gradual restoration of the Imago Dei on this earth, one person at a time, one nation at a time, God's glory ultimately filling the earth as the waters cover the sea. William Van Gimmeren, he says this. He says, those united to Christ again become God's image-bearing participants in his rule over the earth, fulfilling the original mandate to multiply and make manifest God's goodness and glory in all the places that his people dwell. In short, God's original goal of spreading his righteous rule throughout the earth is being realized by the proclamation of the gospel of grace throughout the world. Just as Adam and Eve were to reproduce and multiply, so the early church in the book of Acts is spoken of as reproducing and multiplying. Or that quote we read earlier from the Jesus Bible, it goes on to say this, Adam and Eve lived on mission. They were to multiply and fill the earth as created image bearers. Were it not for sin, they would naturally multiply, have babies, and fill the earth with more and more image-bearing worshipers of God. As worshipers spread, the glory of God would be seen throughout the world God had created. Sin, sin changed all that God created, but it did not obliterate this mandate. In Christ, men and women can fulfill their God-given mission to fill the earth with worshipers and develop the world in such a way as to bring God great glory. 
please be convinced of this. Please be convinced of God's word this morning. God's creation mandate still stands. He loves his people dearly. And his creation mandate still stands. That back in Genesis 1, be fruitful, multiply, and fill the earth. It just sounds different today. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations. Sounds different, but the goal is the same. Fill this earth with God's glory. It's image creation, image restoration, image multiplication. Why global missions? Why, why local missions? Why should we as a church be actively engaged in mission? Why should you as a Christian be actively engaged in mission? Here's one of the primary reasons. Because you were created for mission. 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 The God of this universe, He brought you into existence. And He fashioned you in His image. And after the fall, when you were lost, dead in your sin, God rescued you through the blood of Jesus Christ. And He is now restoring you back to His image And he's doing that in order that you might now be fruitful and multiply and work with other believers to fill this earth with his image-bearing worshipers. So let me encourage you this morning. Do what you were created to do. Do what you were created to do. Do what you were created to do. You're God's beloved child. He rejoices over you. He's molding you every day and He created you for mission to multiply. So be actively engaged in multiplying. Let's not just be a body of Christians that talks about mission. It's really, really easy to do. Many Christians do that. Talk is cheap. Get up by the grace of God and do it. Get up by the grace of God and do it. Not in order to be loved but because you are loved and because your Father asks you to. God doesn't ask you to do it alone. No, it doesn't work like that. It's difficult to do mission alone. Do it with other believers. There's strength in numbers. Be actively engaged in both local and global mission. It's not an either or. Well, I'm either involved locally or globally. It's both and. I mean, God wants us to be involved both locally and globally. Do mission with other believers here locally. That's one of the primary aims of our life groups. To reach the lost in our area. Every life group should have a particular mission focus. A group of unbelievers. They're working together to love and to serve. And hopefully bring to Christ. You know, some, of our, some of our life groups don't have a mission focus yet. Well, all the grace in the world to you. God loves you. He doesn't love you because you have a mission focus. Some of our groups don't have it. Some of our groups have more of a service project maybe. And going and serving people once a month or something, that's fine. That's good. Let me encourage you to just keep working at it. To keep working to get that mission focus where we're reaching out intentionally to, to a, a pocket of unbelievers to bring them to Christ. Listen, we don't want just a bunch of groups here where Christians just sit around together and navel gaze. Just enjoying together God's image in their lives. No, God has called us to spread. 
to, to, yes, enjoy this restoration of his image in us, but then to spread that image, multiply that image, fill the earth with the glory of God. So I just encourage you, get connected with a life group. And man, life groups, just keep fighting to go out. Resist the temptation to just be inward, self-focused. The devil will give you a thousand reasons why you shouldn't go out. A thousand different reasons. And I don't think the devil really cares all that much if we just sit around and talk about mission. And might pray about it occasionally. He doesn't want us to do it. So resist the devil and reach out to neighbors, friends, co-workers, the needy, the neglected, wherever you find them. Jesus went out of his safe home to save the lost. And he, he tells us, go and do likewise. Go out. Save others. Just do something. Just do something. You know, sometimes you can sit and talk for months and years about the right thing to do. And you, you, you just get entrenched in the harbor. My dad used to say to me, you can't steer a docked ship. I mean, you got to get out of port, man. <laughs> you got to just start going. Just start doing something. Some of our groups just need, you just need to start. Just start, just start, just do something. And ask the Lord to direct you as you go. The wind of the Spirit will direct your ship as you, as you get out there and go. Just do something, trust God to direct you. Do mission locally. But also, listen, do, do, do mission globally. You know, we often think global missions is just for overseas missionaries. Man, I'm thankful that's not me. I'm not a global missionary. That's not true. God has called every Christian into his global mission. All of us. Jesus says to every believer, go and make disciples of all nations. That's global mission. <laughs> that, that's that's cross-cultural in this country, crossing ethnic lines, or, or that's going overseas in, in some way. Global mission. So let's work with one another to make disciples in other nations, other people groups, other ethnicities. Maybe God has called you to be a sender in his global mission. He's, maybe God's called you to send those who go overseas, like Tim and Maria Stadahar or, or, or other missionaries overseas. Called you to, to, to help them. Uh, if God has called you to be a sender, I just encourage you, send. Send. Give your money, your time, your energy, your, your prayers to support missionaries. Those who are crossing cultural and country, country lines. Be a lavish sender like God. God lavishly sent for us. He sent his own son. Oh man, what a valuable gift sending his son to us. And we're created in his image. We're created to be senders. Sin lavishly like God. Or maybe God has called you not to be a sender in his global mission, but maybe he's called you to be a goer. Maybe God's calling you to cross cultural or country lines to spread his image. Maybe God's calling you to go overseas. Maybe God's calling you to cross ethnic lines here in, in, in this country. If God is calling you to go, let me encourage you, go. And we want to help you and send you lavishly, get behind you. And listen, I say this every year. Don't sit here and just think, I'm a sender, I'm a sender, I'm a sender. <laughs> We've already had several people who've sat in these chairs and thought, I'm a sender, I'm a sender, and now they're overseas. <laughs> so don't just automatically think you're a sender. God can radically change your life and call you to go. We'll talk more about that next Sunday. And if God's calling you to do, do it by the, to go, do it by the grace of God. Why global missions? Why local missions? Man, because of God who loves you with an in, intimate infinite, eternal love. Oh God, He's created you for mission. I pray that God would cause that creation mandate to drop deep into our souls. I pray 
that God by His Holy Spirit would convince us that mission is not optional. That we were created for mission. And I know some of us are not yet convinced. Not deeply. And I pray God would convince us. That's one of the primary reasons why you exist. Is for mission to spread the glory of God. May God convince us. Man, may we rise together by the power of the Holy Spirit. And may we be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth with God's glory. Well, Lord, we thank you. It is good, Lord, to be reminded of your eternal plan. It is good, Lord God, to just take a, a step back away from your word and see once again your original design for humanity. You did not create us just for our own good. You created us for your glory. And I pray, Father, that you would cause that to sink into our hearts. I pray, Father, we become convinced by your Holy Spirit that this is one of the primary purposes why we exist, to glorify you by spreading your name, the name of Jesus, around the globe. I pray, Father, for all the, the people who would feel hopeless now and, ju- and just feel it's impossible, I can't do it, I've tried so many times, I just pray for your help. I pray for hope, Lord, where there's hopelessness. Pray, Father, where there's discouragement, that you bring encouragement. Father, you never promised us that mission would be easy. On the contrary, you promised that we would go out like sheep among wolves. Father, it's difficult, and we've experienced that. And I pray now, by your Holy Spirit, you'd encourage us again. Father, you'd strengthen us, Lord. you give our groups direction. Father, you give the individual believers here in this church, Lord, you give, you give all of us direction by your Holy Spirit. You'd energize us, Father, by your love. Not any sort of legalistic obligation. But Lord, your love for us. Father, empowering us to step out, Lord, across the pain line. Your love for us, Father, encouraging us. Lord, encouraging us, stirring us up to go out Father, that we would become more in love with you than with the people who might intimidate us to stay in. Give us boldness. Give us confidence. Help us, we pray, Father, in the name of Jesus. Amen.